Welcome to the Naked Truth. Peace to you. We're going to pick up where we left off in the book of Numbers. That's the fourth book in the Bible, fourth book in the Old Testament then. And so unless it's something Jesus reflects on when we get into the New Testament, there probably probably won't be many uh, red letter readings uh, in this reading today. But um, you never can tell what the direction the narratives take in the Old Testament. Um, and the only difference, the only reason I mention that is because, like I always say, Jesus, Jesus' words, the Christian message, is only a tenth or a tithe of the entire Bible. The 60-plus in, books in the Bible are not all a Christian message. So um, what Jesus says only appears in six of them, six and there in those red letters, if you have a New King James Version Bible, you can um, read along with me and see what's um, specifically a red letter reading, something Jesus said, or if it's not. And that's one of the things that Jesus lets us know. And that's what the entire Bible, if you search it, and you can use um, different resources to see. But word for word, the will of God if you search for what they are, Jesus only mentions it in two places. And um, it seems to me if we're Christians, that's what that should stand out as something important to us as to knowing where that is, what that is, and who's saying it. And Jesus lets us know those things and so much more when it comes to our uh, Christian walk. Um, but this is a, not a Saturday reading. We focus on those red letters on our Saturday reading. So... Obviously, this isn't Saturday, so we're going to um, be in the Old Testament. And we do those readings to see, because they point to the Messiah, the Christ, what we call, who we call Jesus, coming and the message that he brings um, for us Christians. So that's why we focus on them to see where those messages align and why we should focus on the red letters. Um, all that being said, so we're in the book of Numbers, that's um, chapter, uh, and up to verse 20. Let's see, I'm sorry, verse 20 was we last read, when we really read about the loss of, that Moses had to endure, he had to endure the loss of his brother, the loss of his sister, and it was the three of them traveling as leaders of the leaders uh, of the congregation through their, um, after they were emancipated from slavery in Africa through the wilderness now that where they're in now and, um, or where they passed away and where they were also rejected from being allowed to enter into the so-called promised land, uh, flowing with milk and honey where there would be plenty for everybody. They were forbidden from entering into all of that. Um, for something that seemed kind of minor, um, it didn't seem like it would be it would have been that big a deal to get them barred from the whole promise uh, with that after all they'd been through together, especially without any sort of warning, and after sort of being led into it by the Lord telling them, uh, telling Moses, I think maybe it was Moses and Aaron to get his staff, um, but then faults him for using it. He, he wasn't instructed to use it so um and that was a fault enough in the lord's eyes um for using the staff that he was told to get but wasn't told to use um to get them barred from um 
making to the promised land. So we saw where Moses has endured all that. And the people sort of feel rejected again. So, verse 21. The king of Barad, the Canaanite, who dwelt in the south, heard that Israel was coming on, that, on the road to Atharim. Then he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoners. So, um, forgive me if I pronounce any of the names wrong, as always. And um, so we understand what's happening. The people were rejected from going, um, uh, from entering certain people's lands and passing through them because they sort of announced on their way to, hey, we're heading to the land that's meant for us, but it's going to mean passing through your land. And the people who they told it to would come out against them, uh, at, at ready, armed against them, passing through their land, telling them, no, they don't want them to pass through. And it's 600,000 plus men alone and that's like grown men of a certain age alone not just every single man so that's not counting all the women and children so you could see understand how a nation um that they would encounter would uh uh welcome that or view that verse two so israel made a vow to the lord and said if you will indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. So, um, let's see what the name, these words, because uh, they're the English translation of other words. Um, when it says things like Lord, so Lord, here's the Jehovah word, and I'm using the blue letter Bible.org website if you want to see it. And read along with me and don't have a hard copy yourself um, but when it says when Israel did that Israel the one named Jacob Israel is already um, deceased so they can't talk be possibly be talking about that is for Israel so I guess that this is where like I was saying when the people were lined up as and being addressed as an army now that's what it seems like it's just talking about it now in that sense of the word and that sounds to me more like historical narration than um, contemporary documentation of what's happening at the time and I think that the time that the people were spent in exile in places like Babylon during their own rule like we're getting to after the army forms then they start conquering areas and they sort of set up a kingdom and it seems like this is sort of the opening groundwork for that whole narrative. Um, you can see that in what's happening. But let's just keep reading and see where it goes from here, though. Verse 18. The well, um, the well of the leaders sang, dug by the nation's nobles, by the Lord. I think I must have jumped ahead. Sorry, let me go back. Uh, it does that when you do the translations. Sorry. Oh, yeah, we definitely didn't get that far. Okay, so, and notice one of the other things that's happening here. The people seem to be, it's saying Israel, but it's not clear who's making this deal with the Lord, and the Lord is bargaining with them. It's not, it doesn't say Moses and Aaron said it. Aaron's already gone. Um, so it's not like Moses is making this um, agreement with the quote-unquote Lord. It just says Israel is doing it. Um, and Israel, like I said, 
whose name was Jacob and then got changed to Israel is long gone. So I'm not sure who it is that's saying is um, having this agreement made. Verse 3, And the Lord listened to the voice of Israel, again, I don't know who that is, and delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them and their cities. So the name of that place was called Hormah. So uh, you can understand how the word Lord is um, translated in this instance to Jehovah because that's who the people at that time in that language were calling their Lord. But we were in other places where it's also El, that the people in those places, and you can see the different approaches that those different entities or deities that people are worshiping have their different approach with the people. This is obvious, the one that they're talking about here is more of a wartime, warlike uh, entity that encourages the wars and the destruction and has no problem with the killing, even though we know that another one gave a in stone writing twice, uh, thou shalt not kill which I would think includes strategizing and setting out a plan to attack your enemy and kill them or take their life, however you want to uh, plan it and plot it. That seems contradictory. That doesn't sound like, sound like something the same consistent Lord would say, in my opinion. Verse 4, Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. So the um, area that's called Edom is named after the same we were just talking about Israel being a, the person named Israel, uh, not the nation named Israel or the land called Israel, but the person who all of that started with whose name was changed to Israel and his name originally being Jacob. He also had a brother whose name, if I remember, was Esau. But um, the land of Edom, according to the narrative in the Bible, is named for his brother Esau. So it's not like these are foreigners to them. <coughs> Excuse me. They're sort of distant cousins that, in at least that that are in the area. Um, so they're passing through that area of people who are familiar with them at least in a distant kin sort of way, um, after being rejected from passing through the other way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses, and so they're blaspheming, in other words. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt? Oh, let me start again. Why have you... And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and so loathes the <laughs> this, this worthless bread. So, <laughs> the sorry, the people are assassins again. They're they they just about had it with um, the situation that they're in. Even though they've been rescued from the in, from the slavery they were in, going through and the hard times. They were being put through and groaning with uh, when they were there enslaved in Africa. <laughs> the times that they faced since then have not been a time that they appreciate <laughs> as good times that they embrace. They feel like, and it's only been like a year and some change. It hasn't been like it's the 40 years that have passed. 
It hasn't been that long. It's only a few chapters back. We read it. It only had been a year that they've been in there. And then they got condemned to the 40 years in, of wandering in the wilderness. So it's not like it's been all that long. And But the people are letting them know they'd rather be slaves in Egypt than <laughs> continue on the way with watching their people die as they go and the Lord lashing out at them and massacring them in large quantities and then just having to deal with eating manna, eating their bread <laughs> while the, the bread from heaven, they call it though, even though Jesus lets us know that mo what Moses gives them is not the true bread from heaven and but um, so the people have had it with the situation they've had it Verse 6, so the Lord sent <laughs> so the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. <laughs> it seems petulant, I think is the word. It, it seems when they talk about the Lord in this sense, it doesn't sound like the same Lord that's uh, long-suffering <laughs> and merciful that is talked about in other parts of the Old Testament. So that doesn't mean that it's not um, pe the one people were calling Lord, but it to me it means that it's probably not the Lord God Almighty, the, you know, Father of us all, Lord of us all, original of us, or the start of us all, that Lord to be, and if it is, then it means the Lord changes a lot, because this is, that doesn't sound consistent at all with the way the Lord demands the people be, and the reaction that the Lord gives to the people, as far as the Christian Lord, that Jesus, how Jesus tells us the, um, uh, the fatherly love is for uh, the children, it just doesn't sound consistent. Um, Okay, so the people are angry and the Lord's not having it and sent fiery serpents. So that fiery serpents what I was gonna look up with um uh, what does that actually mean? Are does that mean dragons? Like because uh, ser dragons are serpents are and that's like biology. And fiery, does that mean they're like fire breathing serpents like a dragon would be? Or is it, uh, I, I'm not sure what it means. Or does that mean the bite of the serpent stings like it's on fire, like in a figurative sense? I don't know, but whatever the case may be, it was sent, according to the narrative, by the Lord to torment the people. And um, many of the people died. Verse 7, Therefore the people came to Moses and said, <laughs> We've sinned. <laughs> for we've spoken against the Lord and against you pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us <laughs> so Moses prayed for the people so the serpents was what it took to bring the people back to get them to stop sassing to send the snakes among the people <laughs> it sounds like some really tough tough love it doesn't sound like 
the like what Jesus says, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more we have Heavenly Father get Holy Spirit to those who ask him. That the Lord wouldn't give serpents for fish. That's not what the Lord would do. And yet that sounds like what is happening there. The people are hungry. They've had it with starving and just eating the manna from heaven, but eating them for according to the Old Testament narrative. Uh, so they were grateful for it when it first came, but now they're basically starving, and the stuff that they could be eating as the livestock and stuff is being reserved for the most part for them to sacrifice to the Lord, which happens to pass through the arm of the religious people that have laid out the laws for them that the religion that the community has the community has to follow, but the people who came up with the laws with seem to be exempt from. Um, the things Jesus calls out, the things we read about on our Saturday Saturday readings. Um, but Moses, in this case, is interceding for the people, praying for them uh, that they're because they're being tormented by the snakes, the serpents, and um, Moses is the same Ten Commandments. Moses that's uh, interceding there. Excuse me. Verse 8. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he shall live. When he looks at it, shall live. So this is definitely seems like it can't possibly be the Lord God Almighty by any standard. And if it's uh, a God, and it's it's an if it's the God, if it's a God, it's a God that's mentioned. That's not that's different from the Old Test. Another God in the Old Testament. So let me try and say that again. Let's go bit bit by bit by what the verse says first to make sense of it. So it says the Lord said to Moses. So we already went over that. Uh, in the New Testament, John in chapter 1 and other places says that no one's heard God at any time or seen his form or heard his voice. So um, the Lord interacting with Moses here and lashing out at the people in these different ways doesn't seem like it must actually be the Lord since those, if in, according to Christianity, None of the, the Lord has not interacted with people in that way, actually talking with the Lord, even though we hear read it face to face, according to the Old Testament. I mean, according to these chapters in the Old Testament that we've read, Moses, for instance, has face to face interactions with what's said to be the Lord. So, and but in another place, now the second part of the, the next part of the verse is, is make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. It shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So, what does it mean by fiery serpent? Um, it seems to me you could like set up somehow a torch that's on fire that's shaped like a snake. Uh, you know, like the medical symbol that exists now, when you see um, a snake on a wrapped around a staff, a stick. Um, it's the sign for medicine and medical services and whatnot. It's the emblem of that, the icon of that. Um, so I guess this could probably probably be the roots of that. Um, so let's see by what 
But the other thing is, well, let's see, verse 9. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. And so it was, if a ser serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. So that changes everything completely. And so it's not like it's a torch that was set on a stick that they set up. Instead, when it says um, a fiery serpent, that means he cast something in the fire and formed it like you would heavy metals. So he they took bronze and melted it down and cast it into the form of a snake or a snake on a stick on a on a staff like the medical symbol I was just talking about. Um so that's what he did. He made a pole with the snake wrapped around it and is command and has now been given the command that if people get bitten by a snake that's suddenly among them since the Lord sent snakes among them now what they're to do is to um, uh, look to that pole not touch it not worship it look to it um, and live so that is very confusing that that's a command that the same Lord of the Old Testament would give. I remember we're right here. So we're at chapter 21 of Numbers verse 9. Uh, Numbers 21 verse 9. But that kind of, uh, it's confusing because if we look at previous verses, chapters and verses that um, of commandments that were given to the people in Exodus, closer to when the first 10 commandments were given, when the Ten Commandments were actually given, um, one of the commandments that people were given was in Exodus chapter um, 20, um, verse 4. It says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is heaven in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. So, a serpent, a snake, exists on at least two of those different planes on the earth and in the water under the earth. Um, so that seems that's something that was laid out already in Exodus that the people aren't supposed to do. That's a no-no. That's a, you shall not it's supposed to do that. And then if you read on in Exodus chapter 20, verse 23, you shall not make anything to be with me gods of silver or gods of gold you shall not make for yourselves so um, when you consider that they were commanded to make the mercy seat um, and um, the angels or cherubs spread out with the ring wings spread out to um, cover it I mean that seems kind of seems like that contradicts since that's where Moses would hear the voices or one of the places where Moses would hear the voice, voices he would identify as the Lord telling him what to do and giving him commands. So it seems kind of contradictory that now they're being told to make a bronze pole, a pole with a bronze snake wrapped around it and let that be what provides salvation or at least relief to the people from the snakes. That have been set on them. Why not just call the snakes off? Since the Lord is the one who sicked them on the people, according to the narrative, why not just uh, tell the snakes to back off? Tell them to calm down. If that's if it's Cobra Commander who's calling all the shots, why not go ahead and just have them? Okay, 
have the snakes back off? Why instead have them contradict something that's been laid out by a previous quotes from the Lord, quote unquote, since that's who also gave the command. And I think back then it also said Jehovah. I mean, let me double check just in case. Uh, hopefully I didn't close it. Oh, thank God I didn't. Let's see. It'll take just a momento since it's um, Exodus chapter 20 that I'm looking back on. Okay, so it says in chapter 20, verse 4, You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in, that is in the water under the earth. So that forbids making any sort of graven image at all, any sorts of statues or anything like that. Uh, verse 5, You shall not bow down to them, to, nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, waiting, I'm sorry, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. So um, I read that second verse because I was curious to see who it is giving these commands in Exodus. And indeed it is identified. Lord is translated from the word Jehovah still also. And the, thy God is Elohim. So that is um, how um, the word thy God, uh, that phrase, is um, what it um, translates back to what it originally was. So at the very least, that means Jehovah is not being very consistent because they were already given the command not to do any of these things. And yet now the people are being given the command to make a carved image of something that is on the earth and under the earth, a serpent, and make it of um, uh, of heavy metal so that people will look to it to save them. That doesn't seem consistent. That doesn't seem like that would be a Lord God Almighty who could see the end from the beginning. But it's how it reads, so let's keep reading. Verse 9, So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole, and so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. So Moses was obedient in creating something that they were commanded not to create previously, um, but was obedient in doing it now. And got um, it helped the people out. It worked. Verse 10, Now the children of Israel moved on. Oh, you know, before we move on, they came up with a name for that because they began worshiping that serpent and its power. It became an idol, and I forget the name escapes me. As we read on, I guess we'll get to it, and God willing, we get to get there. We'll see. Verse 21, now the children of Israel moved on and camped in Oboth. So the people are keeping it moving, and they've camped in another area. Verse 21, I'm sorry, verse 11, and they journeyed from Oboth and camped at Ejabarim in the wilderness, which is east of Moab toward the sunrise. So it lets us know they're moving east, and they this is where they've moved on to. Um, and you can look through one of those Old Testament maps if you want to search and find one and see the path that they took. Because again, it's taken, they've been sentenced to wander through the wilderness 40 years and they've lost Miriam and Aaron already. 
and uh, it's not a 40-year trip even on foot even in modern times you could walk that distance and it wouldn't take you 40 years to walk it you could probably be in a wheelchair and get there in less than 40 years and yet that's how long it took them to take to get on foot verse 20 verse 12 from there they moved and camped in the valley of Zared and I'm just going to keep reading their paths because it seems like that's what it's doing verse 13 from there they moved and camped on the other side of the Arnon which is on the in the wilderness that extends from the border of the Amorites from the Arnon is the border of Moab between Moab and the Amorites um, therefore it is said in the book of the wars of the Lord Wahab and Sufa the brooks of the Arnon and the slope of the brooks that reaches to the dwelling of Ar, Ar and lies on the border of Moab so just to back up just a little bit the Book of the Wars obviously sounds interesting. It means that there was some or some sort of other contemporary book, maybe even that predates the scriptures that the people were uh, circulating at the time, which we know there are other scriptures and things that were out that didn't make it into the Bible. The Bible is one singular book, but it is one singular book consisting of many, many, many other books made over many, many other years by many other people, many, many people, um, not just one, not just one religion, not just one God. And um, so that's something else to keep in mind as we read the Bible and try to get an understanding of it. Um, so that's the thing about the Book of the Wars. Um, let me see. I think there was something else I was going to mention. Uh, oh, hmm. I don't know. So it seems that maybe their journeys were also mentioned in that book of the wars um, as they traveled through the wilderness. Um, verse 15, and the slope of the brooks that reaches to the dwelling of Ar and lies on the border of Moab. You know, maybe I should have pulled up a map to travel us through the wilderness where they're going. Verse 16, from there they went to Beer, which is the well where the Lord said to Moses, Gather the people together and I will give them water. Verse 17, and Israel sang this song, Spring up a well, all you who sing to it. The well that the leaders sank, dug by the nation's nobles, by the lawgivers with their staves, and from the wilderness they went to Madonah. So, um, seems like a strange song. It doesn't have any pro, um, poetry or prose to it. It seems like it's just shouting out, I guess rejoicing, that they're getting water. Um, I guess that's the point. Um, and it seems that's also a point that they've reached in their journeys where they've had different miracles happen for them to encourage them along the way um i know the part about the well the leader sank i guess that's part of the story I, I don't know um or part of the song i mean to say um verse 19 from madana to nahalil from nahalil nahalil to bamoth and from bamoth in the valley that is on the country 
that is in the country of Moab to the country to the top of Pisgah, which looks down on the wasteland. I think wasteland is Jeshimon. It's also a called so yeah, it probably will yeah, it's also called an area in, in Hebrew called Jeshimon. Uh, reminds me of Pokemon. <coughs> Excuse me, but you can do a search and I probably should have. But it's just tricky on a phone to toggle and move around a map. But you can see for yourself uh, the different places that it's pointing out that they traveled to through the wilderness. Verse 21, And Israel sent messengers to Sihon, king of the Amorites, saying, so that doesn't ever seem to work out well for them when they send messengers ahead of themselves that, hey, we're on our way. We just want to pass through your land. But maybe it will. <coughs> we'll see. Verse 22. Let me pass through your land. We will not turn aside in the fields or vineyards. We will not drink water from wells. We will go by the king's highway until we have passed through your territory. So it's basically announcing to an area that, hey, we'd like to pass through, like you would at a customs agent, a customs um, stop, customs border agent. I'm sorry, verse 23, but Sihon would not allow Israel to pass through his territory. So Sihon gathered all his people together and went out against Israel in the wilderness and against he came to Jahaz and fought against Israel. So Sion wasn't having it. He went out against him um, with war in mind, saying, no, you're not going to pass through his land. And again, it's more than half a million men alone, more than likely two million people at least. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, conservatively, I should say. Verse 24, then Israel defeated him with the edge of the sword and took possession of his land from the Arnon to the Jabbat as far as the people of Amman for the border of the people of Amman was fortified so Amman is also an area that are distant cousins distant, rel distant relatives of theirs because they're according to the narrative in the Bible and Amman is an area that exists now in the country called Jordan that um, according to the narrative in the Bible they're the spawn of, of uh, incest of when Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. That and for somehow somehow the sin that gets wrapped up in Sodom Gomorrah, Gomorrah is homosexuality, which according to Jesus isn't necessarily even a sin, but um, that's a Christian thing. But if if you um, but even according to if you go by what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. After, according to the narrative, once it's destroyed, the people who were rescued from it ended up being a man and two of his daughters, two of his married daughters, that ended up their husbands being killed in the episode of what happened. And they, having sex with, or shouldn't, I guess, and it should be to be politically correct, it's correct, it should be they sexually assaulted their own father in what you'd call date rape getting him drunk according to the narrative not once but twice and both times having sex with him getting pregnant from him 
and um, populating the area called Amman, the same area called Amman in modern times. That's their backstory. But they're also relatives, excuse me, they're also relatives of the same people we're reading about now, the children of Israel, the Israelites who passed through, who were passing through from slavery to freedom. Um, so that's who they're approaching also. That's whose borders are now fortified. Verse 25, so Israel took, and all of that's in the Bible. You can read it yourself if you want, or read along with me uh, when we read about it. It's in Exodus. I'm sorry, it's in Genesis. Verse 21, so Israel took all these cities, and Israel dwelt in all the cities of the Amorites in Heshbon and all its villages. So they basically, basically colonized those areas defeated them with war and taken over their land just like what's happened throughout the world through American and British colonization or I should say British colonization to the Americas and so forth Freshpon was the city of Sihon king of the Amorites who had fought against the former king of Moab and had taken all his land from his hand as far as the Arnon Arnon. I'm, it says Arnon. I might have said Amon. So I might, if I've said Amon, excuse me, that's talking about a totally different people than Arnon. Let me yeah, That's Arnon. So Arnon, in this case, is a river. It's still true everything about the Ammon, Ammon and people of the Ammonites, which they're going to be encountering soon enough. But Arnon is a river. You can look at a map and see that that's what they're, um, uh, the what they're saying they're coming up um, that's the border that's between the people and a, a landmark that you can look for for their travels therefore those who speak in Proverbs say come to Heshbon let it be built let the city of Sion be repaired so they're saying one of the Proverbs going around at that time was that um, uh, it seems like a boast but it's a proverb that um yeah go to Heshbon basically saying yeah go check out that city that we crushed go look and see the record of where we've been um saying basically saying look at let our let the records speak for themselves and the fact that they crushed Heshbon and see its king Sihon and that it's in repair disrepair it needs rebuilding it's in ruins verse 28 for fire went out from Heshbon a flame from the city of Sihon, it consumed Ar of Moab, the lords of the heights of the Ammon. I'm sorry, Arnon. So it, they're basically saying that's how the war broke out and how it turned. Verse 29, Woe to you, Moab, you perished, O people of Shemash. He has given his sons as fugitives and his daughters into captivity to Sihon, king of the Amorites. So something they're introducing here lets us know for sure they're encountering other entities or people that other other they're encountering what other people call their ent entities, their deities, their gods. Shemash is one of them. Uh, maybe they've already known about them in advance, um, but that's what also divides people the same way. People now will say they're Muslim countries, they're secular countries. They're Christian countries, though they're not actually always actually Christian. They'll get under that umbrella. Um, 
in that same way it's labeled now, it's labeled in that way back then also by who people identify as their God, their religious leader. Verse 30, but we have a shot at them. Heshbon has perished as far as Debon. Then we lay waste as far as Nopha, which reaches to, which reaches to Mediba. So it's basically retracing the steps that they took in conquering those lands and those people, the Amorites. Verse 31, thus Israel dwelt in the land of the Amorites. So it's saying that's how they conquered them. That's how they moved there. It'd be just like how you could look at the American history story if it's told truly. The massacres that happened along the way of the Native Americans, of the slaves, of the indigenous people, and their land being taken um, and conquered. It's basically the same thing here. Excuse me. Then Moses sent to spy out Jazer, and they took its villages and drove out the Amorites who were there. So they spied out another area called Jazer and, and took it also. Verse 20, verse 33, and they turned and went by up by the way to Bashan. So Og king of Bashan went out against them, he and all his people to battle at Idri. So they're passing through areas, encountering competi- uh, uh, confrontation, and um, so far defeating Sihon, but they've come up against another one called Og, and that's what it says, um, but he's come up against them too. Verse 34, Then the Lord said to Moses, Do not fear him, for I have delivered him into your hand with all his people and all his land, and you should do to him as you did to Sihon king of the Amorites who dwelt at Heshbon. So um, they're being assured, someone I, I, to Moses is being assured again in this instance um, by the Lord letting him know don't be afraid go up to that land too um, I've already got the victory for you there, it's already conquered, don't worry it's easy uh, verse 35, so they defeated him, his sons, and all his people, until there was no survivor left him, and they took possession of his land. So, again, this is very contrary to, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not make graven images. Um, all of that, it seems contrary to at least those two things. And yet you see they're being ordered to basically go through and slaughter, slaughter and massacre people. And this is just the beginning because they're really just getting started. Um, there's, um, I'm pretty sure, the book of Chronicles. There's two books of those. And those, uh, if I remember right, are pretty dedicated to the different uh, wars and bloodshed laid out in the name of God. Um, even though we've seen the Lord, if you're going to call it Lord, changes again and again. Um, from the different commandments to uh, and expectations to the different ways that you're supposed to worship and seek and share and even approach. All of that changes again and again and again. That's why we read it on Mondays and Wednesdays, at least those two days, but also read it here on the Naked Truth on our Saturday readings, the red letters specifically. I'm saying all that because 
we reached the end of this reading. Right? We did read verse 35, right? So they defeated him, his sons, yeah, and all his people, till there was no survivor left him. And they took possession of his land. Yes, so they've gone through conquering. And uh, it contradicts how what the other things we've read, but it's how it reads, so that's why we're reading it. And if you're interested in past readings of the Naked Truth, you can see them, hear them, read along with me here on this platform, on uh, Anchor, on Spotify, on others, on um, my own platform if you're an adult. You can go there and read along with me the red letter gospel readings of what Jesus actually had to say and how different it is from what other preachers tell you, teachers and churches will tell you, what religion will tell you, what you may even believe yourself, and what even other parts of the Bible will tell you. What Jesus what Jesus says about some things is very, very radically different. And he even knows and says again, 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 and again that everything he says isn't going to be accepted. He says that specifically about certain things. And it's entirely understandable because some things he says are out there. And people just will not accept them. Even people say they're dedicated Christians. They just won't. And Jesus knew that and said that it said as much. So in that sense, people are fulfilling that prophecy and don't even realize it. They think that they're doing God's service, fulfilling another prophecy, by the way. Think they're doing God's service um, by tormenting people who actually are doing what it is God would have um, us do. Um, fulfilling another prophecy. Um, anyway, so that's the end of this reading. Thanks for checking it out with me. I hope it's a blessing for you and hope you stay safe. God bless you and peace be with you. See you next time.